0: If you'd please take your uh, scriptures, I hope you brought them today, and find Genesis 12. If you'd find Genesis 12 and put your finger in there or stick your bulletin there, some way to mark that. Then also if you'd take your bulletin and we've got sermon notes inserted there in your bulletin and you can pull those out. You see we're starting a new series today that we've entitled Today's Surrender is Tomorrow's Freedom. And You'll also notice that uh, after uh, the, the message today will be receiving communion. And it's no accident that the two of these are happening on the same day. We're starting a series on surrender as we receive and celebrate communion. Because for us as followers of Christ, we understand that communion is a huge symbol of surrender. For, our, for all of our ancestors, those who preceded us in faith, they've, they've all had to wrestle with surrender, but no greater surrender has ever been made than what was made at the cross. As the father surrendered his son into the hands of wicked men, and the son, Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, surrendered everything that was so rightfully his as God to become a man and die at the hands of wicked men. There's no greater uh, picture, symbol, demonstration of surrender than the cross of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and again, that's not to say that our ancestors uh, in the faith didn't surrender. Many of the men and women throughout Scripture, and since Scripture came to a close, have uh, performed near impossible acts of surrender, choosing to lay down something that was rightfully theirs because God had called them to. And so over the course of this series that we're doing over the next month and a half or so. We're gonna look at different characters through Scripture who God called and said, I want you to lay this down. I want you to let this go. I want you to turn your back on this because I have something better for you. And today we're gonna start with Abraham. Uh, Perhaps you're familiar with the story of Abraham, but the very first time he appears on the scene in Scripture, Abraham is called time and time again to surrender You may remember Abram's story starts, his name isn't Abraham when it starts, it's Abram. And God says, I want you to surrender everything you've known to be yours, this country you've lived in, your ancestors, and I want you to move and, and, uh, and, and just surrender and trust me with that. And, and uh, a little bit later in the story, he has a, a nephew traveling with him. His nephew's name is Lot. And so Abraham surrenders to Lot, the choice country. You and, and your clan go over there and live in, in, the, in the prime retail and I'll take my clan and we'll go this way. And a lot, as the story moves on, gets in a little trouble, and so um, Abraham goes and rescues Lot. And at the end of that rescue, surrenders in Scripture what becomes the first tithe, and he gives a portion of his uh, of, of his wealth to a, a priest by the name of Melchizedek. And, and surrender just continues through Abraham's story. And eventually we get to the point where God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, if you continue to follow me and serve me as you are. I will make your ancestors as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Every nation, every people group on earth will be blessed through your ancestors. And of course, Abraham and Sarah waited and, and waited and waited. And eventually, in uh, chapter 21 of Genesis... God comes through on his promise and gives them a son. And, and they're so overfilled with joy that bodies they thought were barren would, would produce offspring that they, they named their son Isaac, which in Hebrew means he laughs. And that leads us to verse 22, where we see what may be the ultimate surrender, excuse me, chapter 22, where we see what may be the ultimate surrender in Abraham's life. Now, when Moses wrote down this story in Genesis chapter 2, we believe the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it down in three distinct movements. We don't necessarily see it as easily in the English, but as we, uh, if we're to read it and study it in, in the Hebrew, in the original language, it's very clear that that Moses kind of gives us three movements to this story, and I believe three movements... And uh, because each one has something different for us about surrender, a truth and an application. So what we're going to do as we work through this passage in Genesis 22 today is look at the three movements and see what it is that God would have for us. We know these movements because each one starts with a specific phrase and ends with a specific phrase. So as we read together today, I'm going to ask you to read off the screen the words that are in yellow. We're going to start in verse 1 of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, "Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you." Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them together. This is the, the last recorded interaction we have in Scripture between God and Abraham. Abraham's story goes on a little further beyond Genesis 22, but, uh, but as far as Moses' recording of Abraham's life, this is the last time that Moses and God interact directly where we have a sense that God is speaking to Abraham. Um, certainly it's not the first, though. Um, as I said in Genesis 12, where Abram's story starts... Uh, we have it starting with the, an interaction between God and Abram. And what's fascinating about these two, these two accounts, these two interactions between God and Abram, is they create uh, what we might call a surrender bookend. Abram's life starts with great surrender, and his interaction with God ends with great surrender. And that's a Hebrew, a Jewish way of saying Abraham's life was a life of surrender. Everything that came between was about surrender. Abram's willingness to surrender, what God called him to surrender. But but so you can see what I'm saying here. Um, Hopefully you mark Genesis 12. Go ahead and open that up in your scripture. Keep your notes handy since we have Genesis 22 printed there. And watch what Moses does here, what what the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to do. Genesis chapter 12 and verse one, it says, The Lord said to Abram, and what did he say? Go. Well, it depends on, I guess, it depends on what version you're reading. He said, leave or, or go. The idea is, Abram, you're out of here. And as you continue to read in chapter 12, it's, it's almost as if God is tightening down. It's like he's ratcheting this bolt. He says, go and, and, and leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your family and go. And you'd expect that once this bolt was tightened, once God was done telling Abraham everything he was going to give up, it's going to be a great reveal. Like, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be great, Abraham, and you're going to love it, and this surrender is no big deal. But how does God's call to Abram end in chapter 12? Leave your, pe- your country, your people, your family, and go, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when you get there. As we're going, you'll find out. I'll show you the place you're going to go. Abram, I want you to give it up. I want you to lay it down, and I want you to go. Now notice in in chapter 22 that we just read, in verse 22, God says to Abram, take your son, your only son, Chuckles, whom you love, and and go to the mountain I will tell you about. God gives him a command and says, "Um, do it. And as you're doing it, I'll tell you more. I'm not going to paint you the whole picture now, but start obeying and I'll unfold it out. Lay it down, surrender it, and as you do, you'll find what I have in store. And so in both cases, in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 22, what does Abram do? Notice again, uh, verse four. The Lord had said to Abram, go, so Abram went. And then here in 22, Go to the next slide. Then God said, take. And then in verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham took. Without delay, Abraham responded. He surrendered to the extent that had been revealed to him. This This is our first truth about surrender. Surrender requires obedience without delay. When God says go, we go. When God says take, we take. When God says lay down, we lay down. This is what surrender is. Abraham didn't, didn't need to have the whole picture. There was no long conversation recorded here. Abraham didn't say, well, tell me where I'm going and I'll go. Or, or uh, exactly what am I going to do with my son? How are you going to work this out? Abraham said, I have the word of the Lord and that's enough. That's enough for me to do what he's asked me to do. I personally believe that the the characters in Scripture are a lot like us. They were human. They had the same the same uh, emotions and and concerns we do. And so I imagine in chapter twelve when God said to Abram, "I want you to leave everything and go to this new land I'm going to show you." While Abraham was maybe a little bit nervous, I have a sense that that it was exciting. It was exhilarating. Like like. The world was his oyster just waiting for him to pluck the pearl. And surrender when there's uh, opportunities that lie in front of us can be nerve-wracking but exhilarating. But what about when we've experienced the good things? We have that for which we've longed and worked and hoped and prayed. What about when God then says, I want you to lay it down. exactly what happened in Genesis 22. Everything that Abram had longed and prayed and hoped for and seen come true, God says, I want you to just lay it down. You're going to sacrifice your son. It's never easy when it's the thing that our heart longs for the most that God asks us to surrender. For a lot of people who uh, choose to go to college, the, the college choice isn't always an Easy one. There's there's a lot of options. There's uh, choices to be made. There's financial packages to be compared. And then when it came time for me to choose college, it wasn't an easy decision. I was a, a brass player. I played brass instruments. Um, God had blessed me with enough musical gift that uh, I had a I had several options of schools, and I had narrowed it down through a, a process to two schools I was looking at: uh, Bethel College in Mishawaka and Grace College in in Winona Lake or you know Warsaw. Indiana, and as I started to compare the two, uh, it was pretty clear where Grace College had a great brass program. They actually had a traveling brass group. They had facilities laid aside just for uh, for brass musicians. They had a connection with the Chicago Symphony, which allowed them to feed students into the symphony. And uh, best of all, they they offered me a large scholarship. And uh, then there was Bethel College, who I had grown up in the missionary church hearing all about. I had been brainwashed to believe that Bethel College was the best. Unfortunately, it wasn't brainwashing because it's true. Um, they, uh, they had a great music program, if you could sing, which I can't. Um, they had a, an anemic brass program. Uh, they had a brass choir, but it was just kind of ad hoc. And they didn't really have any facilities for brass players and and, um, and then because they focused on choral music, um, they offered me like a thousand bucks to come play, you know, play brass at their school. And uh, it was a tough decision. As the deadlines grew closer and both schools needed an answer, um, I, I, I came to the point where it seemed pretty clear to me that God was leading me away from Grace College and towards Bethel. The school was less of what I needed, uh, fewer brass opportunities, less money, Smaller distance from mom and dad. Um, But uh, I felt like, you know what, this is God's clear leading. And so knowing that my life was ahead of me, that that college would forever change my life, um, it was easy to turn away grace and to say, I'm going to choose Bethel instead and head in that direction. The world was my oyster. I just had to pluck the pearl. What wasn't so easy is partway through college when God clearly said to me, uh, Earl, it's time to walk away from your music major. It's time to lay your instrument down, and instead, I want you to pursue ministry. And I thought there is no way this can be right. This is absolutely not God's call. Why would He give me this ability to play any brass instrument I picked up, and then ask me to lay it down and, and become a pastor? This this doesn't make any sense, and I wrestled with and I wrestled with it, and I was enjoying music, and I was excelling, and this can't be right. It must be mishearing. God must have another Earl in mind, probably the one that went to Grace College. And uh, uh, thankfully, I had an upperclassman mentor who I'd been meeting with, and and uh, I began to tell him what I was struggling with, and we began to pray together, and. And, uh, and one day, as the, the deadline drew near for the change that I had to make if I was going to make it, I walked to my campus mailbox and pulled out my mail, and, and there was a, a packet from my mentor. And, and he, had, he, had, he had written scriptures, he had written prayers. And as I read through that, it became clear to me that if I was willing to surrender what God asked me to surrender there would be great reward. Even though it didn't make sense now, it would against every grain of my body. If I was willing to do what God asked me to do, the reward would come. This is kind of where Abraham's at. He had enough of God's word to know that to surrender what God was asking him to surrender would be painful, but it would lead to reward And the truth for us is still the same. We can be guaranteed that when we surrender to the extent revealed to us, the surrender will become reward. Not only does uh, surrender require obedience, immediate obedience, but surrender reveals my faith. Let's pick up reading in uh, verse 7 of Genesis chapter 22. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abram answered, God himself will see to the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I, 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 don't, I don't think Abraham was, Abraham was playing the cool dad here. I don't think he was like trying to surprise Isaac with something. I, I think when Abraham answered Isaac, he's making a statement of faith. But I'm not so sure it's concrete faith. I think it's, I think it's hopeful faith. I, I, I think Abraham, if he were to be completely honest with Isaac, um, he'd say, I have no idea, Isaac. All I know is God told me to take you up the mountain and and sacrifice you. Of course, Abraham doesn't reveal that at this point, but um, Abraham, as they have this conversation, I believe Abraham knows only two things. First of all, he knows that God had promised that Abraham's future, the offspring that would cover the face of the earth, would be reckoned, would come through Isaac. He knew that. He could take it to the bank because God had promised. And second, He knew that God had told him to take Isaac up that mountain and sacrifice him on an altar. He doesn't know about a lamb. He doesn't doesn't know how God's going to do this. But somehow he knows that those two things go together. He knows that he can't violate one without violating the other. He didn't know how it was going to turn out, but he had faith that God was somehow going to work this together. And we don't understand. In Genesis 22, Noah doesn't explain to us what in the world, how did Abraham piece this together? But scripture does. You can flip to it or you can follow along. And In the New Testament book of Hebrews, the writer gives us kind of a sneak peek into what Abraham is thinking when Isaac says, well, where's the lamb? What about the lamb? Listen to what he writes. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it, was, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And we get that. Okay, we under, you understand that, right? You get that's where we're at. This is where the wider of Hebrews gives us some insight. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. This is incredible. I mean, we look at it and we're like, oh, of course God can raise the dead. I mean, you know, he raised Jesus and there was the son of the, the, the widow from Nain and, and then there's that boy that Elijah raised and there's Lazarus. I mean, we, we can make a list as long as our arm about the, pe- the people God could raise from the dead and has raised from the dead. But for Abraham... Do you know how many people God had raised from the dead at this point? Zero. None. There's no record in Scripture before Genesis 22 that God had ever demonstrated that he could raise the dead. And so Abraham's going, you know what, here's what I know. My offspring's going to come through Isaac. God has said to sacrifice Isaac. Well, apparently God's going to raise him from the dead. As they're walking up the mountain and Isaac says, where's the lamb? I imagine Abraham thinking to himself, you know what, Isaac? God brought you from a dead womb. And um, in just a little while, he's going to bring you back from from the dead on this altar. This is faith. Abraham knew what he was called to do. He knew the promise. He had the word of God. And so he was going to move forward, trusting that he would see God work not only in his life, but in all of history like God had never worked before. And if we're going to surrender, if we're going to be people of surrender who respond to God's call to lay it down, to set it aside, to turn our backs. We've got to have the kind of faith that says, I don't know what God's going to do, but I have a feeling it's going to be something I've never seen him do before. I have a feeling it's going to be so huge that I wouldn't want to miss it. Surrender is all about faith. Faith that God isn't capricious, that he knows what he's doing, that he can see the big picture that we can't. Faith that, that, that it all fits together, that, that God is asking us to surrender something, to lay it down, to walk away from it, because he has something so much better that we can't embrace as long as we hold on to this thing he's asking us to, to surrender. Faith that no matter what happens, no matter what we have to give up, no matter how much it hurts and what it costs, God will provide Faith that that even in our weak moments when we don't have the strength to move forward, when all we want to do is run back to that thing we've laid down, that God will provide the strength we need to remain faithful. Abraham demonstrated incredible faith, but I want you to understand this. Faith isn't a matter of the head or the heart. Abraham wasn't just walking up the mountain saying, I think, I believe God's going to do something great. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. Just wait and see. I I know it's going to happen. Ultimately, faith is a matter of the hands and the feet. Just being willing to trust God, just being willing to surrender, to sit here this morning and say, you know what, God, ask me to surrender whatever you want. I'm willing. That might be a great starting position, but it really doesn't demonstrate a lot of faith. It's not willingness that demonstrates faith. It's surrender. When we take our faith and put it into practice, when it's expressed through our hands and our feet. Let me show you what I mean as we read verses 9 and following. And what I want you to do in the first couple verses here is wherever you see a verb, just circle it. We'll have them underlined on the screen. Just, Just kind of circle the verbs. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built, there's your first verb, an altar there and arranged the wood on it he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son verse 11 but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven Abraham Abraham he replied don't lay a hand on the boy he said Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Let me just pause there for a minute. What's going on here? Ten chapters ago in in the book of Genesis, God said, go, Abraham. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your family, and go. And time after time, encounter after encounter since then, Abraham has been faithful to do what what God called him to do, not perfectly, but faithfully. And why is it here in the last encounter between God and Abraham, God says, well, now I know for sure. What's up with that? A lifetime of faithful service and following God. And God says, now, now I know. Now I know for sure. You see, there's some acts of surrender that God says, this is the big one. This is everything. I understand who you are and what matters to you. And this will tell me everything about who really has your heart. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. and they went on together for Beersheba. And Abram, Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The Hebrew rabbis, as they teach about this, uh, this passage, this encounter between God and Moses, call it the Akita. And the reason they call it the Akita... Is because akita is the Hebrew verb for what Abraham did in verse 9. He bound Isaac with ropes. He akita Isaac. You see, in the, in the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew nine, uh, mind, verse 9 is the epitome of surrender. Go ahead and look back up at verse 9. And, and that to the Hebrew mind... Is what it means to when you look look up surrender in the the Jewish dictionary, there's a picture of Abraham binding Isaac. That's the kind of that's kind of what I'm saying here. And can you imagine how that scene played out? Can you imagine Abraham longing for just a few more moments with his son of promise, with, with the one that brings him so much joy and laughter? Can you envision him taking the rope that Isaac himself had carried up the mountain? And binding Isaac, so tight that, that he can see Isaac's face contort in fame, but it, pain, but it, it has to be tight because Abraham knows if, if, if Isaac squirms at all when the knife falls the first time, it might not be fatal. And he might have to plunge the knife again, and so he ties it tight, maybe tighter than he needed to to make sure this would be a mercy killing. And, and can you see Abram's trembling hand reach out and, 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 and take the knife and, and hold it over his head? And, and maybe he takes his other hand and, and covers Isaac's eyes so that Isaac won't see the knife fall and be tempted to squirm or to scream or do something that'll make the, the, the knife have to plunge a second time. I mean, can you, can you just envision this? It's a powerful picture of surrender And what Abraham was asked to lay down here is unimaginable. and probably not a single person in this room can imagine God saying to us, "I want you to take your oldest child, your only child, the child that, uh, that, that you just you've waited everything for, you've put everything in. I want you to sacrifice them. We, we can't imagine this sacrifice. But I'd like to suggest to you the greatest sacrifice, the greatest surrender here, isn't Abraham, but Isaac. I don't know about you, but when I heard this story growing up on Sunday school flanographs, um, we had Abraham, the you know what looked in my childlike mind to be like the seventy-year-old father, and and uh, we had Isaac, the ten-year-old schoolboy. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how old Isaac is, but as as we piece it together from Scripture, it looks like Isaac probably isn't a schoolboy, probably not a pimply-faced teenager, realistically, probably not even in college. We're talking about an Isaac who is somewhere probably between 25 and 37 years old. Okay, catch that. We're talking about a full-grown man in his prime. Let me help you picture this. Jason Brown, would you please stand up? Talking about a full grown man in his prime, and we're talking about Abraham, a man who was well over 100. I don't think we have, no, stay standing. I don't think we have any men over 100, but um, Ken Pletcher, I saw you here. Ken, would you please stand up? I choose Ken because I know that Ken goes to the gym every morning, pumps iron. Um, Sometimes Arnold will, will call and say, Ken, tell me what to do. Okay, so we've we've got an elderly gentleman here who takes care of himself. But this is the picture. A full-grown man in his prime and a man well over 100. You guys can be seated. Now tell me, who really surrendered the most as Abraham began to tie Isaac with the rope? Without even thinking about it, Isaac could have turned the tables. He could have resisted his father and made Abraham the Isaac that day, uh, the the sacrifice that day, but Isaac didn't. He chose to surrender to a call from God that he never heard. His father's faith in God and understanding of what God was asking him. To do. It doesn't matter how you look at this story, the surrender is incredible. And all throughout this story, we come to the realization that surrender reflects God. Surrender reflects the God that we worship. Here we have Isaac, the son, who was reverently submissive to the will of his father. Though he didn't like it, perhaps didn't understand it, certainly didn't want to do it. But he allowed his father to bind him with rope, put him on the altar, and raise the knife to plunge it to end his life. There's no greater picture in Scripture of what Jesus did than what Isaac did. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews picks up on this. Notice, Chapter 5, verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. You have, as you read the story, you've got to understand that Isaac is giving us a picture of what it means to be like Jesus, surrendering to the will of his father even when it didn't make sense. And then we've got Abraham who reflects for us our heavenly father, who gives us a picture of a a God, a heavenly father, who, who would not spare his own son, but for the good of others would give him up. Paul caught on to this in Romans chapter 8. And um, you'll see this, and you'll see an underlying phrase. Those words, did not spare his own son, are the exact words that Moses uses here in verse 12 of Genesis 22. But Paul writes this about God. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? No matter how you look at this story, you see God. You see God Reflected, surrender always points back to and reflects the reality that we have a heavenly Father who lays down everything for us. That we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who was reverently submissive and obedient to the will of his Father, even when he didn't like it, even when he didn't want to do it, even when it wasn't easy and was going to cost him everything. He was willing to surrender. And the reality is we are more like our Savior when we surrender than at any other point in our life. Anything else we do in our Christian walk, anything else we accomplish for our Heavenly Father, for the kingdom of God, we are like Jesus at no other time more than when we surrender. And so I wonder, are there some things that God has been asking you to surrender. Has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about laying something down, about turning your back and walking away from something? Maybe like Abraham, uh, it's your children. And maybe God God is saying to you, you know what? Um, I have so much more for you and your children. I just need you to turn the helicopter engine off. I just need you to take them off the throne of your life. I need you to make them not the most important thing. Put me at the center of your life and watch what I do. Quit letting your schedule revolve around them. Quit letting every decision you make revolve around them. Make me the focal point and watch what I do. Or, or maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's not your children, but our um, relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that has been so dysfunctional and God's saying, you know what? It's just time. It's time to surrender. It's time to quit fretting and worrying and, 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 and chewing your nails about it. Or, or maybe it's a healthy relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that gives you life and joy and hope. But God's saying to you, it's time to surrender. It's time to walk away. I have something greater for you if you'll lay it down. Maybe it's an object, a thing, your home, a car, a toy, a a certain amount in the bank, and God's saying, you know what? You no longer have that, it has your heart, and it's time to lay it down, it's time to surrender it. Maybe some of you in here are wrestling with um, unforgiveness, with hurt, and you have the perfect scheme concocted on how you're going to get even with that person. They're going to regret the day they crossed you, and over the course of these next weeks, if he's not already, God may say to you, it's not worth it. Walk away. Extend grace. Surrender the hurt and the right to get even. Or maybe it's not, maybe it's not something small. Those, those things are huge, but maybe it's not uh, something that fits into a category like that. Maybe for you, it's your life. It's your heart. It's who you are and what you value, and who you follow. Maybe you've been coming to church for years, but you've never really come to the point where you've said to your heavenly Father, "I'm a sinner," and um, and I come to church and I, I do good things, but the reality is I've never really confessed my need for a Savior. And it's time time. It's time to surrender. I don't know uh, what God is calling each of us to surrender, but um, I have a sense that when God makes it clear to us, it's time to lay it down. That obedience immediately reflects a faith in a God who's so much bigger than anything we lay down. And that God meets us at that moment and honors our surrender. As we uh, close today, uh, we're going to sing a song um, after we, we sing together. Uh, we'll receive communion as the, uh, the ultimate picture of surrender. But as Jim leads us, I'm just going to invite you, if you'd like to come to the altar, if you're struggling with something, if, if you say, you know what, I think there is something that God wants me to surrender, or I hope God doesn't ask me to surrender anything, I, if you want to come pray, um, would you do that as we sing, and then we'll receive communion together afterwards.
1: All to Jesus I surrender All to Him Surrender all All to thee, my blessed savior. I surrender all. Would you all stand and sing with me? All to Jesus.
0: Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your example of surrender. Father, we thank you that you were willing that none should perish, but that all would come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and so you willingly gave up your son. And Jesus, we thank you that although you didn't want to, although uh, you would have rather it happened a different way, in reverent submission, you laid down your life, you surrendered your life so that we could know new life. Father, we ask that over the course of the next several weeks as we walk through this series that you would speak to us. Our desire is that a month and a half from now, we'd be at a different place, that if there's something in our life that keeps us from what you have for us, that we would surrender it. And so we're going to ask you, Father, speak to us. Put Put your finger on places in our lives that Perhaps we hadn't considered. And then give us the strength to lay it down, to turn our back, to walk away, knowing that you've called us in a different direction. We love you, Father. Amen.